The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Saturday, April 2nd, 2022, as we record this emergency version of the show. After much speculation and criticism of the Chicago White Sox picking up Craig Kimbrell's contract and the empty feeling of perhaps they did not read the market properly in order to make a trade before opening day, the wildest thing happened on Friday, April 1st. Rick Hahn was finally able to move Craig Kimbrell to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the White Sox didn't have to eat any salary, which is impressive in its own right. And in exchange, the White Sox improved their outfield by acquiring A.J. Pollock. Pollock was someone I was advocating the White Sox to sign after the 2018 season. You know, the same offseason as Bryce Harper and Manny Machado uh, signed before the 2019 year. Uh, I just felt that Pollock would be a great fit for the White Sox in center field as the team was transitioning and would be a great placeholder at that position until Luis Robert arrived. Well, three years later, and Pollock finds himself on the White Sox. He's getting paid $10 million this season, and there is a player option for 2023. If Pollock picks up his option, he's on the White Sox for at least $10 million, with his salary increasing by $1 million if he reaches 400, 450, 500, 600 plate appearances. So if he does have 600 plate appearances for the 2022 Chicago White Sox, and picks up his player option, his salary would be $15 million in 2023. Or Pollock could opt out of his player option, getting $5 million from the White Sox, and test free agency again. So the money is a bit even here. Rickon moves a pricey reliever who wants to close, but won't with the White Sox, in exchange for a good outfielder who didn't have an everyday starting job with the Los Angeles Dodgers because of their depth, who can help the White Sox in right field. I think this is a great move, but let me ask if my partner agrees. He's the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. 
A day after the trade dust settles, what do you make of the Craig Kimbrell to AJ Pollock trade? Uh, well, when I first saw the trade come across Twitter and I saw Ken Rosenthal, I had to check that it was his account multiple times, given that it was the morning of April 1st. Um, <laughs> you know, I was on high alert for anything that could have sounded remotely plausible, you know, uh, checking it twice before I re hit the retweet button. And sure enough, it was him. And I saw it, you know, pass the, uh, uh, passing the smell test in other people's accounts and just thought, well... This sounds too good to be true, but it is. Like, I think if you told me that the White Sox, you know, like a few years ago, told me that the White Sox would be picking up the last year of A.J. Pollock's contract, I would have figured that they would have maybe traded for, like, half of it because he was, you know, basically running out his term of the deal. Um, he was a shell of himself thanks to injuries, and the White Sox were trying to cut corners in an outfield spot and thought like, well, here's a guy we liked years ago. Maybe he'll still be good now when he hasn't been good the last couple of years and think that they're just trying to get by. But in this case, the White Sox are acquiring him when he's basically at the top of his game, which I think is pretty neat. Like he might've lost a step in the outfield, but when it comes to hitting skills, ability to hit right-handed pitching as a right-handed hitter, uh, running the bases, like that's all good. I mean, the only knock on him is that he missed uh, you know, more than 40 games, but he misses more than 40 games every year. So if you take that into account and you have guys who can back him up and take some load off him, he's a nice guy to have on the roster. So yeah, I think uh, it's the kind of move that if Rick Hahn made this one in November before the lockout, I would have been disappointed because like, you know, why bother picking up Craig Kimbrell uh, to just trade for a guy who might be hurt a lot of the season and you, you could do mm -hmm. better uh, you're scoping out the rest of the market. But in this case, you know, a week before the season starts, I don't think he could have done much better. So it's a, it's a strange set of expectations with the lockout changing the timetable and Kimbrell's option forcing uh, the White Sox into a sort of barter system rather than an open market. But under those restrictions, he did very well, I think. I agree. And you are right about it as far as the timing, because if they do make this type of trade, let's say before my birthday, which is November 16th, and you still have all these free agent outfielders out there, you know, available in free agency, uh, that would have raised some eyebrows in the sense that, well, the White Sox are not probably, you know, this is not a priority as far as finding the optimized solution in right field. Yeah, they're not, they're not taking it seriously. Yeah. And I think you, you you pointed that out on Sox Machine in your analysis of the A.J. Pollock for Craig Kimbrell trade, uh, going back to the Adam Eaton signing. And if the White Sox waited until late January, early February to sign Adam Eaton, well, that's the best the White Sox could do as far as what was available in right field. But the fact that they jumped in front of the market to sign Adam Eaton is why that signing was not smart to begin with. And that was our first guess. And our first guess was correct as the White Sox end up cutting Adam Eaton in July. I think Adam Eaton's going to be on the Angels coaching staff last that I saw. So I don't think he's going to be playing in 2022. Yeah, I, never, I, I saw that his possible shift to a coaching staff was uh, interrupted by the lockout and he couldn't talk to the Angels because he was theoretically still seen as a union member. But I didn't follow up on that because uh, to the extent that I cared, uh, just didn't uh, uh, raise as a priority once the lockout uh, uh, was over and all the, 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 the frenzy of moves resumed. And we had this conversation, and, and I brought this point up in past episodes, that come April 1st, if the White Sox could not trade Craig Kimbrell, 
you might as well keep them because you're so close to opening day. You just go with your super bullpen, and if there's a possibility in July to flip them for another need, you can do so. But time was running out before opening day and getting rosters finalized. And sure enough, Craig Kimbrell on April 1st gets traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he will be the closer for the Los Angeles Dodgers, pitching in the ninth inning. When it comes to Kimbrell and his tenure with the White Sox, very short, Jim. But are there any lessons needed to be learned by Rick Hahn and the White Sox front office to avoid another mishap? Because we liked the trade when it happened, and we're enthusiastic of, wow, the White Sox are really going for it. They really improved their bullpen adding Kimbrell it should be locked down we know how important bullpens can be in the postseason just look at the Atlanta Braves who won the World Series and when Kimbrell gets to the south side he does not perform well at all and there are debates and arguments that he needs to pitch in the ninth inning to be effective and I think he's a diva for feeling that way and that's the very short of it the mm-hmm. Craig Kimbrell uh, tenure with the Chicago White Sox, but are there any lessons needed to be learned? Uh, you know, aside from just the White Sox you know, having some of these issues where they trade for somebody or sign somebody and they immediately forget how they've gone about their business and really look like a shell of themselves rather quickly. That was a, an unwelcome return to those days of just having those free agent signings blow up on them or acquisitions blow up and I'm thinking like you know Alex Rios and Adam Dunn that sort of it, it was that level of failure which we hadn't seen and hope to not see um I think it's probably partially um learning a little bit about Ethan Katz or you know perhaps thinking like well we have a new pitching coach we haven't really had these mid-season acquisitions to test our infrastructure here so we may as well go for it given how well Kimbrel's been pitching and maybe you know, he learned something from that his first year on the job, learning on the fly how to help somebody or who maybe might be tough to help in the middle of a season, especially like say if his velocity is going the wrong way as it was in his last month with the Cubs uh, to where just like a little bit of a um, you know, learning curve for that particular facet of Ethan Katz's job. So maybe that's maybe the biggest takeaway. Other than that, like, you know, the whole idea of Kimbrell pitching ninth, I really don't know how, you know, that seemed like the kind of old school defense that people think sounds good. Like Tony La Russa thinks it sounds good. Steve Stone thinks it sounds good because like, oh, he's a closer. Of course, he doesn't get up for, uh, you know, situations that aren't the ninth inning. But when you take a step back and you just, you know, if you don't take that role as seriously, you think it sounds kind of sad. <laughs> just like, mm-hmm. you know, how, how are you getting paid that much? And, and you're, you know, theoretically... Uh, you know, at the highest level of your craft and something like an inning throws you off so completely that you lose two ticks of velocity and you spike half of your curveballs and you can't pay attention to runners. Like, I think that's just, I'm hoping it's just a matter of like Kimbrel, it has high maintenance mechanics. Um, he can lose them. Or if he goes to a new staff, it takes a while for that staff to get a handle on them because he had a rough transition to the Cubs. He had a rocky first month with the Padres, I believe, or the Red Sox. One of those two terms, he had a rocky first month and it took him a while to, to, to catch on. So uh, besides those two, I think Kimbrel is like a, a strange enough, you know, may not strange enough, but just like he's accomplished enough to where it's hard to find peers for him in terms of like 
guys with, you know, quote unquote, Hall of Fame track records, if you believe closers should be Hall of Famers, and I don't, mm-hmm. uh, but that's a discussion for another time. Uh, it, it's a case where, like, you're not going to trade for too many Craig Kimbrels just because there aren't many like him. But I think if they do again, it's a matter of, like, is he high maintenance? Is he, uh, is his stuff as good as it was when he was dominating uh, during the first half of the season? And uh, are we really going to, like, do we really want to put up with the ninth inning stuff? <laughs> because like in this case, like I saw people saying like, well, you should give, you should have given Kimberly the ninth inning because he's more proven than Hendricks or he's more used to it. Like, no, <laughs> like you got Hendricks to be that guy who can handle the last three plus outs of game. Like you don't give him less important innings uh, just because somebody, ha- you know, has like a security blanket type attachment to ninth inning where you just, you know, like, no, like that's, that's completely backwards. So in the event that they do have like a Kimbrel type acquisition come up again, I think those are the three things that they have to keep in mind. Craig Kimbrel may still pitch in the eighth inning because Dave Roberts has not been afraid in the past to send out Kenley Jansen, who was the former closer of the Dodgers, signing a one-year $16 million contract with the Atlanta Braves, that Jansen would come out in the eighth inning to try to get a four-out or five-out save. So Kimbrel may still have to pitch in the eighth inning in four games, if Dave Roberts just feels like, okay, it's time to go to Kimbrell to, to close this out. The Dodgers have the lead. We got a runner in scoring position. Come out and save this game. It'll be interesting to see how Kimbrell reacts to those types of situations. But Dave Roberts does like to use his closer in those types of outings to get four or five out saves, just like the White Sox and Liam Hendricks volunteering himself to be thrown into those situations as well. Yeah, I think what's interesting with the uh, Dodgers real quick is, is that like, you know, they had the opportunity to re-sign Joe Kelly and didn't, um, you know, they let him go and, and or actually they, they had the option on him and they let him, they, they gave him a buyout rather than ex- exercise his option. And they've chosen to take on Craig Kimbrell. So it's kind of like a, a swap in a way that had they picked up Joe Kelly's contract, perhaps mm. there's a trade there just based on preference, you know, who wanted who for what role. So it's a little bit of an interesting head-to-head matchup there in terms of like which team is going to get the better end of that uh, decision that was within their control. Like they, they own the destiny on that one. Um, perhaps both teams get, you know, what they want out of it. Like the White Sox get uh, somebody who's comfortable in the seventh and eighth innings and the uh, Dodgers get their Kenley Jansen replacement and both sides are happy. But it's an interesting dynamic, I think, that's uh, a, an indirect head-to-head of sorts, even though they weren't uh, directly traded for each other. Well, reading the reactions from Los Angeles, many Dodgers writers are bringing up, I think, a good point. Why didn't you just re-sign Kenley Jensen? Yeah. If it's going to be a $16 million contract, why didn't you just re-sign Kenley Jensen and keep A.J. Pollock, who was well-liked, not just by Dodgers fans, but Dave Roberts as well, speaking to the media, uh, when asked about A.J. Pollock, that he will be missed on the their team and in the clubhouse that it is a loss for the Dodgers. And he still thinks it's a win-win for both teams. And he's happy that Craig Kimbrell is on the Dodgers, but manager Dave Roberts is going to miss AJ Pollock. And that does mm-hmm. bring up a really good point as well. From a Dodgers perspective, if you are going to be paying $16 million to a closer, well, you could have just resigned Kenley Jensen and kept AJ Pollock and your outfield depth would still be in order. Yeah. Uh, instead you opted to not do that. You trade for Craig Kimbrell and you give up some of your outfield depth. 
Yeah, perhaps it's a little bit like the White Sox not issuing the qualifying offer to Carlos Rodon that just like what they know, they don't like going forward and they just, you know, would rather not um, have the risk of having that contract on their books at, you know, any cost or, you know, even for one year. So, you know, perhaps that's that's what's in play here or just, uh, you know, maybe Jansen was a little bit uh, chafed by a one-year deal with the Dodgers and just, you know, rather take his services elsewhere for that kind of commitment. So who knows? But um, yeah, that's another element to it as well. They're, they've made the choice to sign Kimbrell in a lot of ways. Like they want him. So, you know, given that the Dodgers are usually pretty good at this, yeah. I think I, <laughs> I, I'm bracing for a return to form and, and uh, you know, maybe uh, the White Sox looking like they didn't know what they were doing with him. But hopefully Pollock addresses the White Sox specific needs well enough in the, in the outfield situation to where like both sides come away happy. We'll get into Pollock's reverse splits in a moment uh, in his career against righties and lefties. It's not really reverse splits. I should take that back. Just how well he has hit against right-handed pitching uh, despite him being a right-handed batter. But when it comes to AJ Pollock, the White Sox fans that are not completely celebrating or excited about this trade are pointing at Pollock's injury history. As in, hold on, this guy has a tough time playing more than 100 games in a season. Are we really excited about someone like A.J. Pollock, who is 34 years old, joining the White Sox? Jim, how worried should White Sox fans be about Pollock's nagging injuries that he has had to deal with throughout his entire career? They should be worried just because it's an assortment of things and it's and it's bothered him long enough for basically like six seasons in a row, aside from the pandemic shortened season in which he played 55 out of 60, which I think is, you know, that's what you call a perfectly healthy season. Um, no, it's a real concern. And that's why, you know, I mentioned that timing is important in terms of how to evaluate this, because if they did trade for him before the lockout is clear plan a we're really excited about this and also he comes cheaper and we don't have to uh spend that much money on him then it would have been it would have come off as like nickel and diming the position but i think with him being around and the white Sox having seen andrew vaughn nearly lost for you know more than a week or two you know coming away from that awkward dive with a hip pointer rather than something like a dislocation or something more serious uh, I think that should allow fans to see, like, what would happen if Andrew Vaughn got hurt? You know, are you going to have Adam Engel and hope that he doesn't get hurt? Or Gavin Sheets and hope that he doesn't get hurt? Uh, and, and, and then you have, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're back to Larry Garcia all over again. So I think between those two things, the timing of Pollock's injury and also the uh, Andrew, Andrew Vaughn's life or season flashing before everybody's eyes, uh, makes it easier to accept... Um, you know, Pollock's flaws just because like right now he's healthy. Uh, last year, even though he got injured, he was, when he got back in the lineup, he produced. So it didn't like, it wasn't like, uh, injuries that dragged him down while he was in the lineup. So with the information we have at hand, we just have to say, well, it's the best Rick Hahn can do. And also, um, if he's healthy or when he's healthy, um, he will help this outfield. And for when he's not, the White Sox, you know, like what the White Sox had with Andrew Vaughn and Adam Engel and, and uh, you know, uh, Larry Garcia and Adam Hazley and, and what have you, like 
that's fine as a plan B. Like that that arrangement ranked 30th or 23rd out of 30th in Fangraph's uh, depth chart rankings, which as a plan B, 23rd is not bad. You know, like you can get by with 23rd if the other two outfield positions like uh, you know, Ella Jimenez and Luis Robert produce as they should. So that's fine as a plan B. It just sucked as a plan A. It was really fraught as a plan A. So having Pollock there to provide um, that kind of cushion to uh, to relegate the previous arrangement as something that the White Sox can use to scrape by for a month at a time, that's a lot better. And it, and it takes the stress off everybody else, even if Pollock only plays 110 games. Pollock's career splits against right-handed pitching. For his career, he is hitting 279 with a 338 on base percentage, slugging 464. The White Sox would definitely take that in right field. And against lefties, just like the White Sox hitters throughout the lineup, they love to feast on left-handed pitching. Pollock in his career hit is hitting 285 with a 338 on base percentage, just like against righties, but slugging 522. In 2021, AJ Pollock hit 301 against righties with a 353 on base percentage and slugging 548. And against lefties, he hit 288 with a 360 on base percentage and slugged 512. Jim, if AJ Pollock has a on-base percentage above 350 and he's slugging above 500 and plays 120 games for the White Sox in right field, this is going to be a significant boost for the Chicago White Sox in 2022. But even if he falls back to his career numbers in 2022, I still think those are really good splits. And again, with what the White Sox have on hand, and we talked about this in great detail in our previous episode, previewing the 2022 White Sox, you also take this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, another thing I'll add to Pollock's numbers is that the strikeout rate is below 20%, but he also gets the ball in the air. Uh, they, they fly ball rates or ground ball rate rather, um, you know, 39, 40%. So, you know, he's somebody who makes contact, but not contact for the sake of contact. It's actually, uh, you know, a purposeful swing that produces, that, that avoids double plays, runs the bases well enough. And really, when you look at this lineup, like you could bat him seventh, you could bat him eighth. If he's batting seventh, like Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets might be batting eighth. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, this lengthens the lineup in a really nice way. Like, you know, should Tim Anderson, like, you know, for example, Tim Anderson will be missing the uh, first two games of the season due to suspension. Like if he batted Pollock first or second, cool. Like, you know, he can bat there. That's fine. Like he gets on base well enough. He runs the bases well enough to fill that job. So if he's batting first or batting eighth or anywhere in between, like, you know, when he's healthy, that's fine. And, and, you know, you look at the, the strikeout and walk, or sorry, strikeout walk and fly ball rates. And they're also pretty much even between lefties and righties. He draws fewer walks against righties, but otherwise numbers are, are good on you know, all accounts. So that's really, you know, when he's healthy, he does what the White Sox, uh, what the White Sox lineup needs. And there's a lot of ways Tony La Russa can use him. And I think the hope is that, you know, there's enough depth, there's enough modularity to the lineup that like, you know, if he's ailing or if he's on the verge of like pushing something too far, like Andrew Vaughn can step in and play mm-hmm. an occasional three games in right field. Nobody will hate that. Or Adam Engel can play right field or Adam Engel can step in late in games and AJ Pollock can move to left if he's better there. Like this provides the flexibility at the White Sox 
had, I suppose, with the previous arrangement, but that's only because they didn't care whether Andrew Vaughn played left or right or whether how well he played defensively. Like in this case, this is actual flexibility in which you get decent outfield to play in both corners, uh, depending on whether Pollock's playing right or left or Adam Engel's you know, coming off the bench. Like there's a lot of ways this can go, and most of them are good. Now that Pollock is into the fold, Jim mentioned Andrew Vaughn. What does this mean for Andrew Vaughn and the White Sox 28-man opening day roster? Well, we'll answer that question next after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, A.J. Pollock is part of the White Sox. But what does this mean for our right field conversation that we spent a lot of time on, Jim, in the 2022 Outfielder Season Preview? So if you listen or watch that episode on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash Sox Machine, just stop listening and watching after the Luis Robert <laughs> segment of the podcast. Yeah, download uh, the files, splice them together yourself, get a proper episode. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, you wrote about this in the aftermath in your analysis. That's very good on SoxMachine.com. I highly recommend it. About AJ Pollock and what does this mean for Andrew Vaughn? And I think you make very good points about Andrew Vaughn's development and how the White Sox can now optimally handle Andrew Vaughn. The question that I have from your column, how do you think the White Sox are going to handle Vaughn to start 2022? Well, uh, the nice thing about this season with the lockout is that the minor league season starts before the major league season. So in normal cases, if Vaughn were injured at the end of spring and might need a little time to get back into shape or get some game reps, he would have to wait a week for Charlotte or Birmingham, whoever is home to start up to get actual game action, or maybe the White Sox think they can get by with extended spring training. But normally, like they usually wait the first week for games. In this case, like the the Knights or Birmingham will be, I think Birmingham starts at home. I think the Knights are at the road, but either way, uh, whichever one is hospitable to a Vaughn rehab stint, like if they think he needs knockoff rust, there is a spot for him to immediately do so. After that, I think it's a case where they bring him up to Chicago and they, you know, basically use him as the primary DH or a DH platoon with uh, with Gavin Sheets. Not the best thing necessarily for his individual development, but I think like last year, Tony La Russa showed that he, you know, wanted to introduce him against favorable matchups first, uh, lefties heavily early on, and then righties 
you know, I guess softer tossing or less dynamic righties. And then as Vaughn got up to game speed uh, towards the middle of the season, like the, uh, the kid gloves were off. And then unfortunately Vaughn got hurt uh, in August and then was just kind of a, a very limited form of himself afterwards. But I think you could see it play out the same way. And that's, uh, it probably starts as a straight platoon, especially if Gavin Sheets is swinging the bat well while waiting for Vaughn to arrive. And then, you know, they'll see if, you know, one or the other takes the lead. If it happens to be a perfect platoon, you know, maybe they roll with it for a while. I think it's a case where, you know, you cannot count on Jimenez staying healthy. You can't count on uh, Pollock staying healthy. So they'll want to keep him engaged. I, I think they're not going to just have him face lefties. But it'll be a little bit of a timeshare starting at the DH spot first, but also some rotations going through with, you know, Yasmani Grandal maybe DHing a little bit and Elo Jimenez getting off his feet a little bit, you know, Jose Abreu getting off his feet. Like there are ways to to push these guys around a little bit uh, to uh, spare them from the grind, a little bit of load management going on. And I think you'll see Vaughn rotate in that way. But I think the curious thing will be if it's a best case scenario and say like Jimenez is hitting the way we thought he would in the outfielder preview and Pollock is staying healthy and Jose Abreu looks like August Abreu or at least Midsummer Abreu and uh, Gavin Sheets is holding up his end of the bargain against right-hand pitching. Do they try to, uh, you know, stretch out Vaughn, even though Sheets is being the, you know, basically the platonic version, the platonic platonic ideal of a left-handed platoon bat. Like, uh, there's a little bit of tension between the individual development and what the team needs. But I think, you know, when you look at the, what the team is doing uh, and, and what they're trying to do this year, then I think you just, that kind of has to take a back seat and uh, the White Sox will more or less treat it as like, they'll get to it when they get to it, when injuries arise in terms of uh, shifting Vaughn into a full-term role, because, you know, as the as their track record has proven in recent years, like they can't count on being perfectly healthy. Like the Herm Schneider magic is gone. So Mm -hmm. uh, basically I think you take it month by month, basically Uh, you you see if Jimenez is healthy and functioning, you see if Pollock is healthy and functioning and you go from there. Yeah. This is going to be a bit jarring as far as getting ready for this season where the day before the trade happens, we think that Andrew Vaughn's going to be the primary right fielder. We don't think it's a very good idea, but we think that he's going to be the primary right fielder. Now after the trade, I agree with you. I think it makes sense for the White Sox to send Andrew Vaughn on a rehab stint, and I think that they will because he missed at-bats during spring training, so it would be nice for him to kind of catch up, ramp up, to get ready for the 2022 regular season. But if the probable pitchers are coming up and you're seeing that it's a lot of right-handed starters, I mean, the White Sox have... A week in April after their first homestand against Seattle and Tampa Bay, they go to Cleveland for four games. That could be four right-handed starters coming from the Cleveland Guardians. You may want Gavin Sheets to be your DH. Okay, so Vaughn may not see any playing time during that series. And then you head up to Minneapolis to face the Minnesota Twins. I don't think the Twins have a left-handed starter in their rotation. Okay, so now that's an entire week of games. Mm that you would like to have Gavin Sheets be the primary DH because of the handedness. So I think you're right, Jim. You're going to move month to month with Andrew Vaughn, and now I am preparing for Andrew Vaughn to not be part of the White Sox 28-man roster on opening day, and he may not be part of that roster until there is an injury, and it does raise questions of who else could possibly take his spot, 
I mean, if you want to hold on to Mike Rodolfo a little bit longer, you could because he doesn't have any options, where obviously Andrew Vaughn does have options. Uh, you could be a little bit flexible, at least for the first month before rosters have to be trimmed back down to 26 guys on May mm-hmm. 2nd. But I, I think you're right, Jim. We're going to move month to month. And it's just so funny in how the conversation changes within the day, right? The podcast releases yeah. in the morning on April 1st. <laughs> Andrew Vaughn's the primary right fielder. Here we are, Saturday, April 2nd. Well, we're thinking Andrew Vaughn may be in the minor leagues for the month of April. More bats than spots. That's my catchphrase. Yeah. Hey, uh, both catchphrases. AJ Pollock, ball in air, great addition, more bats than spots. Yes. Boom. The things that we ask for. Yeah. Should you know? Should the White Sox have like the 80th percentile outcome? And as I mentioned, like Jimenez is healthy, Pollock's healthy, Gavin Sheets looks great in a part-time DH role, and Abreu is holding out for a space. Like that's a case where... You know, Vaughn is in a unique position in his career to where like AAA is not an insult because he hasn't faced that level of pitching with regularity in his career. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be an insult. I think if you need a right-handed platoon bat to uh, offset Gavin Sheets at DH, then I think, you know, the conversation turns to like, well, what's Jake Berger doing? How is he looking? Like his, he right. might be better suited for that DH spot mm. just because, you know, if they want somebody who can, you know, play third base maybe uh, and spell Yon Makata or, you know, play second, like he can come off a bench in a way it's more useful than maybe spelling Jose Abreu when he really takes a day off and maybe Yasmani Grandal wants to get those at bats instead. Like that's a case where if everybody's healthy, Jake Berger might be a better version of that role than Andrew Vaughn. But that's a, that's a great problem. That's a, that's a great problem that we're talking about, um, you know, Gavin Sheets being good enough to where he might be able to hold down a a side of a DH job, which uh, we didn't expect coming into last season. We're talking about uh, Jake Berger being healthy enough and and, uh, and and you know showing enough potential, immediate potential at AAA to be a part of this conversation. So all of this is great. You know, this is, you know, it's, it's a little bit bad for Andrew Vaughn in the near term, just because, you know, you miss out on the major league lifestyle and service time, but it could be fine for his development and it could be fine for everybody. Like it, it could be like you uh, taking the John Stewart mill utilitarian approach, like the greatest good for the greatest number. This could very well be it. All right. So to wrap up as far as this emergency podcast, uh, Rick Hahn said, Jim, his off season is not done until opening day. As we record this, we're six days away from opening day for the Chicago White Sox in 2022 as they head to Detroit on Friday, April 8th. Is there one more move Rick Hahn makes before opening day? Uh, seems like th- those Oakland starters are just kind of hanging out there. Yeah, and this kind of revisits back to our conversations during the White Sox rebuild with Jose Quintana that the White Sox played with fire holding on to Katana as long as they did. And the reason why they play with fire is that what if he gets hurt? What if he blows out his arm in a start and he needs Tommy John surgery? Well, now you really hurt his trade value and you missed out an opportunity to, to really add to the roster where, you know, ultimately it didn't work out that way, but that was the risk the White Sox were carrying with every single Katana start before they finally traded him in July to get, of course, Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease, which has worked out incredibly well for the Chicago White Sox from that trade. With Oakland, it's going to be the same thing with Sean Manaya, where you're really playing this risky game, Jim, from an Oakland A standpoint with every start Manaya makes. 
Yeah, he looks great. Oh man, his trade value is really high. But we have already seen across the league. I mean, look at the New York Mets. They don't know if they're going to have Jacob deGrom for the first two months of the season now. Uh, if he leaves a start early, Minaya does, in the third inning in an April start, and he's holding his arm, yeah, uh, there goes any chance to aid in your rebuild. So in my perspective, the time is now for Oakland to move Sean Minaya before opening day. I don't think it's all that smart to wait until July, and I think if you wait until July to move Minaya, that's just a half-season rental, and you're not going to get the type of return you can get mm -hmm. now. So I do think Minaya, from an Oakland A's perspective, needs to be moved in the next five days. Yeah, it's a half-season rental for a guy pitching in a park that's unique for pitchers with all that foul territory. Like, there are reasons to believe that his adjustment out of Oakland might be a little bit rocky. So, um, you know, that's a case where it could keep his price down. But also just, it could be a case where, you know, teams might not be all that excited about trading for him if they don't, you know, have more than a half season for him to get used to pitching in a smaller park as his home. There's a lot of contenders calling Oakland, not just for Sean Mania, but Frankie Montas as well. Yeah. And the reporting just seems to be that Oakland is waiting and waiting and kind of like an auction style re-upping trade offers on everyone to maximize the trade value. And they should do that to, to help mm -hmm. out their rebuild. They were pretty quick, though, to move Chris Bassett. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and it's not like the Chris Bassett return was insane at the time when they made that deal with the New York Mets. Interested to see in where this market truly lies right now for Sean Manaya and Frankie Montas and what Oakland is doing here. Because there may be a non-baseball reason, like we need someone to help sell us tickets uh, to go to Oakland A's games and Montas and Manaya are going to be our, our meal tickets there. So we're going to hold on to them to sell some tickets early in the season. Like I wouldn't put past that. But I, I'm also a bit surprised that Minaya has not been traded yet. But who knows? When this gets posted, I bet Minaya gets traded. That's the way it's been working this week. Yeah, maybe we should start talking about like how much of a impending disaster this could be. Dallas Keuchel does not look sharp. Uh, Michael Kopech, you're <laughs> counting on him for 120 innings. What is Rick Hahn doing? This looks terrible. They're really playing with fire here. We don't like this one bit. This is really just, yeah, Renal Lopez. Yeah, this is going to be there. He puts it together. Yeah, I believe that. So let's uh, let's 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 end this on a really pessimistic note. So hopefully, when people are listening to this after the White Sox make a move, it all sounds really dated. Yep, there you go. Perfect. So Jim has done that task for us. And uh, if the White Sox do acquire Sean Mania, uh over the weekend, of course, we'll have an emergency podcast. And like we have over the last 24 hours been covering in depth on the trade that the White Sox just made with the Los Angeles Dodgers, sending Craig Kimbrell to A.J. Pollock. And now A.J. Pollock is finally on the Chicago White Sox. 2019 version of myself is really happy. Uh, this has finally come to fruition. But that will do it for this emergency podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and thank you for continuing to visit SoxMachine.com when news breaks. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at SoxMachine. You can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. If you just discovered SoxMachine or you've been a longtime lurker of SoxMachine, you can help support us at Patreon.com slash socks machine where our patreon supporters get more they get exclusive content they get ad-free versions of the podcast of the website and they get the first opportunity 
to purchase our new Socks Machine swag. We have monthly plans starting at $2 a month and annual plans save you 9%. Again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine and you can subscribe to the Socks Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball, and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.